Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, onto the show. The behavioral mindset is so interesting in the advisor space. And the reason it's interesting for me as I look at it is because it takes away a lot of that typical quantitative metric numbers and it gets to what really real people are worried about. Do I have enough to retire? Am I going to be okay? I'm joined today by two of my favorite people in this industry, Daniel Crosby and Eric Clark from Orion, who are doing such amazing things with behavioral finance right now and embedding it inside that Intel inside. It's incredible. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Thanks. Matt. Great to be here. Thank you, Matt. Eric, I'm going to start with you. Why? What was really in that thinking? Why did you want to really get that behavioral mindset inside of everything at Orion? We're always looking at what our advisors can do to enhance their value proposition, making sure that they have a defensible business in the future. You know, we're talking to advisors about ways they can future-proof their business. And as it relates to that, when you combine that with the ability to help the client feel understood, help them make sure that they have a process that's executable that will help drive success with regard to their investment portfolio. It's something that we feel like comes together in a real winning combination way. And when we had the opportunity to, you know, combine our business with Brinker Capital, we were extraordinarily excited specifically about the work that Dr. Crosby and his team were doing. When you look at this business, Dr. Crosby and his work were a whole curve ahead of where we were at at the time, that evolution, so to speak, of helping advisors implement better behavioral coaching was something that that we felt like we could really embrace and combine with our technology in a way that would be uh, game-changing. Game-changing, I guess, is a word I use often when I talk about Daniel Crosby. You and I have gotten to work on a lot of projects. When I started my own podcast, my first episode had to be Dr. Daniel Crosby. I've gotten to follow your career, see you kind of grow. Orion, talk to me about this transition and the work you guys are doing together. What makes it kind of the logical next step for everything you've been thinking about for so long? Well, it's a great partnership because it is the logical next step in all the work that I've been doing over my whole career. The big problem with behavioral finance historically has been that education by itself is a weak predictor of behavior. Educating our clients is necessary, but not sufficient to bring about great investor outcomes. So what we have to do is bake it in a real-time, just-in-time way so it's part of their in-the-moment experience of working with an advisor and not just something they learned at a seminar six months or six years ago, which tends to weekly predict what they actually do in real time. So all of my research, all of my speaking, all of my thought leadership up to this point, I'm now getting to bake into the Orion uh, Tech platform, and it is just where the industry needs to go and couldn't be more excited about it. Seamless. Is really the word here, Eric, as you kind of try to make it so seamless. How seamless is it for the advisor from their experience so that, because if it's not seamless, it's just something they heard at a conference months ago. How do you make sure this is a seamless experience? Well, we literally have to 
integrate behavioral finance into everything that, that we're doing. We're just scratching the surface as an industry and what we can do as we bring the very best of behavioral finance together with our traditional processes, with our traditional workflows, the traditional ways that we engage and interact with clients. We've started with launching a risk profile that not only looks at risk tolerance and risk capacity, but also then looks beyond that to an overall risk composure or anxiety score that helps the advisor understand the client better. We're looking at ways that we can integrate better mental accounting frameworks into the reporting that we're providing to clients. There are so many ways that we can do things and you might think it's a little bit out there, but when you look at how other technology providers are engaging us, whether that's through social media or digital ads, it's not that far-fetched for us to realize that, hey, you know, much like these other providers are using digital means to drive behaviors, we can use those same tactics to drive positive behavioral outcomes in that advisor-client journey. And that's something that we're just start getting started with, quite honestly. Anxiety score is such a great turn of phrase because when it comes to money, it is anxiety, right? It's If it's not a long-term anxiety, it's short-term anxiety. So how, when you guys thought about that, how money makes people anxious, Daniel. Talk to me about kind of that anxiety that exists every time you talk about money or think about money as a person. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So worries about money are the number one driver of, of separation and divorce in North America. Uh, the APA, the American Psychological Association, has been uh, studying the stress levels of Americans about since the year that I was born. And over that time, every single year, financial stressors are the number one stressors of the American population. So we as an advisory community are in this incredible place to address the fears and the stresses that, that surround money and the taboos that surround money. But we can only do it if we have the right tools to accurately measure and to assess and to address these concerns. So that's not something that's been widespread heretofore. That's something where we think we can do the right thing for clients and, and make a, a real contribution to their life. So the research shows that people who work with an advisor not only are they much better off financially, right? The research shows that people who have a long-term relationship with an advisor have 2.7 times the wealth of their do-it-yourself peers, even when controlling for 55 other variables, like income, notably, right? So not only are we adding dollars and cents value, people who work with an advisor were better prepared for an emergency and they were happier. As we begin to address people's lives more holistically, we're going to bring about great outcomes. We're going to make this a loving, caring profession where we can contribute to people's lives in a big and meaningful way. Loving and caring profession, Eric, must be music to your ears as a really kind and good person in this space who's always thinking about that solution first. But for an advisor, those anxious moments are great conversation moments too. That anxious moment of, have I saved enough for my child to go to college? Have I saved enough for us to retire? How do those anxious moments also create great conversation starters so that an advisor can remain top of mind with their clients? 
Well, they have to address those top of mind concerns that the prospect has. Being able to have technology tools that can analytically address those, go through scenario testing, those things are all important. Going back to that 3D risk profile, someone may have the ability to take on risk from a tolerance and capacity perspective, but they're totally freaked out about this pandemic that we're going through. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not as it relates to their money, but they're just, their anxiety levels are high. So knowing that, it might be wise to help that client pare back some risk in their portfolio today so that when we do do go through the next period of market volatility, they're more likely to stay invested. There are so many things that are top of mind for people right now, concern-wise. This is a time period where maybe it's unprecedented with regard to you turn on the news media and it's easy to become concerned about a variety of different things. And being able to help advisors proactively recognize what those concerns are, being able to help provide them technology tools that will demonstrate some what-if scenarios to the client about what their portfolio will go through during that period of next market volatility and being able to uh, uncover that just the composure level that the client has in general, how they're feeling, will lead towards more meaningful conversations. I think that this is an industry where we struggle to gain investor trust. And trust is paramount and foundational, really, in all of the advisor-client relationships. So if we can help that client feel understood, we'll begin to help the advisor build a stronger relationship of trust. And I think that that's a really important key ingredient to being uh, successful for our advisors as they're working with clients. And trust has to be a serious issue here as you have this kind of anxiety pile up here on the 404. You've got, you've got money issues, which are always the top concern. You've got COVID, you've got all these other issues. Holidays are coming up. It's all, you've got this assortment of big issues that are going to create this anxiety. How does an advisor gain and keep that trust as they help you sort through this variety of anxieties? Some research that we're going to be sharing today shows that 36% of people who are advised trust their advisor. I want you to think about that for a second. 30, so a, a third of people who have an advisor trust their advisor. I'll draw on my experience as a clinical psychologist here for a second. My favorite finding in all of the clinical research is that the best predictor of patient outcomes is the level of rapport between a therapist and her client. It's not how many years that therapist went to school. It's not the school of thought. It's not their approach. It's none of these things. It's self-reported trust and rapport between that client and their therapist. I would hypothesize that the same is true for our industry, that your ability to be a trusted partner for the people you serve is going to be foundational and you bringing about the kind of behavioral outcomes that we're talking about today. And for too long, we have focused on the wrong stuff. We've focused on performance. We've focused on product. We've focused on things that are frankly less essential when you look at the research, less contributory to client outcomes than the behavioral stuff. I'm sharing a lot of research that we're gonna share today. One of the things that we found, we cite a Merrill Lynch study from 2016 that looked at the various things that an advisor does for, for their clients. There's eight things they looked at across 12 studies. The old school meat and potatoes stuff, right? 
product selection, tax management, all this stuff, it's all contributory. It adds somewhere from 32 to 62 basis points per, per year, which is huge. That's great. But when you look at the behavioral stuff, client emotion management, goal selection, these sorts of things, they add on the range of 89 to 244 basis points. So we're spending all our time and energy on things that are less additive to client outcomes and that are less conducive to building trust. So it's time for a new focus and a new story for our industry. A new story is sometimes hard to tell. Eric, you've been in this industry a long time, as I have, and it's hard for advisors to switch gears. That whole mindset of what got you here won't get you there is hard for advisors to grasp. What can you do to get advisors to hear what you guys are doing? Make this additive to their practice and take that next step when often they like what, what's got them here. How do you get them to take that next step? I think we can look back and, and equate this change to other change that has happened in our industry. So the industry used to be highly focused on investment portfolios, the asset allocation. That has somewhat been commoditized. The investment problem, so to speak, has been solved. Then we've evolved into focusing in on financial planning as the value add. That's the core value proposition of so many of the firms that we're doing business with today. Well, even that financial planning capability has been, again, somewhat automated and commoditized. And so now as the industry evolves towards behavioral coaching and being able to uh, drive behavioral change with clients, I think that's a way for advisors to really future-proof their business. And if they think of it in terms of, hey, our industry has evolved historically, we can continue to evolve. And this is a way for us to add value in a way that's more meaningful than just that next technology capability. This is something that advisors actually should get really excited about. What does that look like for their firm? So much of our industry is built with individuals that have an educational background like myself in accounting or finance or something that's highly numbers oriented. And we need to be willing to build out a diverse team and not just uh, diverse in the maybe the traditional way we think of it, but diverse as far as educational backgrounds, bringing in people that have psychology backgrounds, behavioral science backgrounds, those types of things will help drive and evolve firms forward in a very different and exciting way, I think, as, as we move into the future. Well, guys, this has been a really exciting conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Now, I like to end my podcast, as Daniel knows, with a question from my 10-year-old son, CJ. I had him put together some questions for everybody here as we were here at the conference. I'm going to ask you I'm both. scared to death right wait, now, wait. Matt, by the way. Is, is this an appropriate time to shout out his sandwich-making YouTube channel? Because that is my favorite YouTube channel. Everyone go sign up for CJ's sandwich. What's it called? Summer of Sandwiches. Summer of Sandwiches. <laughs> Incredible Eric, content. Eric, when your dad likes to make videos and you come to him and say you want to be a YouTube star, he then has to become a marketer over the summer. Figure out. That's we had, fantastic. We had, we had KPIs, uh, Eric, you'll be happy about. We He wanted to get to 100 subscribers. I think he said like 90 95 right now, which is pretty okay. good. Well, Come on, I'll people. Be 96. Do the nice. right thing. Nice. He, but it, like, let me tell you, he is the most interesting 10 year old ever. So he's smart too in a behavioral way because he's trying to plant seeds about Christmas, obviously. What, he's, what he wanted me to ask was what is the best Christmas gift you got 
And how much, you know, I swear to God, he said this. And how much more did it like make you like your parents after you got them the gift you asked for? He's a really smart kid here who knows he's asked for something that's way too big. So when, and what does he ask for? What he's what he asked for this year? He wants a whole one of those new PlayStation systems. So. Yeah. CJ, that seems reasonable. And if your dad loves you, he'll get that for you. <laughs> so um, the best present I ever received was when I was 16. My parents got me a Washburn acoustic guitar. And playing guitar is something I still am very mediocre at, but it's a constant source of joy and self-betterment and exploration. And I, I just love it. And it's become a, a lifelong hobby. And I loved my parents 273% more than I did the year previous upon receiving this gift. 273% if I get the PlayStation, I guess. <laughs> Eric, what was the best Christmas gift you ever got as a kid? Well... Aside from the Legos, I was a Lego maniac as nice. a kid, okay? But I think the best gift at this time of year is just the gift of getting together with family, right? And just that when you look back, having really great memories of spending time together as a family is absolutely the best gift. And your son probably won't appreciate that now, but later in life, he will. So. Well, Believe me, as someone lost my mom seven years ago and the holidays are a tough time because you don't have family around, but you look back at those pictures, you don't remember half the presents you got as a kid. But, sure. but I do remember when I got a Commodore 64, by the way, that was one of those <laughs> ones. Guys, this has been so awesome talking. Thank you both so much. Thanks for joining us today. It's a lot of fun. Great. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Thanks, guys. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Eric Clark is Chief Operating Officer of Orion Advisor Services, and Dr. Daniel Crosby is Chief Behavioral Officer of Orion Advisor Services. Both are separate entities and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.